0: And we will be starting in verse 31, um, just to provide some background. We are at the end of Christ's ministry. Um, we're in the upper room uh, during the last Passover. And yeah, with, with that, we'll, we'll get started reading here. When he had gone out, that is Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. You also are to love one another. By this, all the all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, where are you going?" Jesus answered him, "Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward." Peter said to him, "Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you." Jesus answered. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then, uh, also looking at verse 18... um, My little children, I will not leave you as orphans. Make sure I'm in the right spot here. Okay, let's uh, open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, please open our hearts so that we may understand your word, and may we be encouraged and grow in holiness, that we might be resolved to live life live our lives uh, for your kingdom and your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Have you ever been really excited about going somewhere, doing something, or participating in some activity and found at the end that what you imagined was far more exciting than the actual reality? You may have been excited to watch your favorite sports team line up against a team that should have been easily beaten only to have your team humiliated. Or maybe you had been really excited about a political candidate that was at the top of the polls only to see another very disagreeable candidate win the race. Perhaps you went on vacation to a location that you had always dreamed about, and upon arrival, you found your expectations undercut. You may have perhaps felt cheated or that you should have gone somewhere else, in each of these case, cases, confidence can so quickly be replaced with heartbreak, bitterness, fears, depression, and anger. If only you had known that one thing, the outcome could have been so much different. You, would have been, you wouldn't have been where you are right now or experienced such difficulties if you had only known. And that is where we arrive Um, for the disciples. Uh, We're in the middle of of a similar yet graver situation. Uh, Their expectations of the Messiah had been high. Three years earlier, each of them had taken a risk by leaving their homes and livelihoods to follow Christ. As they watched Christ perform miracle after miracle, they knew that he would have no problem overthrowing the Romans, taking back Israel, and establishing a permanent kingdom. They were so confident that we see them multiple times, trying to line up the leadership pecking order. However, their confidence was blinding them to some key facts that Christ was telling them. At the beginning of the week, Jesus had entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, accompanied by thousands of people crying Hosanna. Yet Christ did not seem to share their enthusiasm. They probably thought that they would be staying in Jerusalem from that day after, But to the disciple's shock, he kept upsetting the religious leaders and had to make multiple trips to Bethany and spend the night outside the city to avoid being arrested. The disciples proudly admired the temple, but Christ told them it would be destroyed. Through all this, Christ repeatedly told them that he would soon die and leave them. They are starting to perceive a sadness in Christ and are greatly alarmed to find there is a traitor in their midst. Who could it be? Why is Christ not taking over Jerusalem? Why are they meeting in secret in the capital city to celebrate Passover? Shouldn't they be celebrating in the palace if Christ is the Messiah? Why is he saying he will be leaving them? Shouldn't he be here sitting on David's throne? Did they make a mistake 3 years ago when he left or when they left everything? To say the least, the disciples' minds are loaded with questions accompanied with a mixture of highs and lows. Something's not quite right. Things are not happening the way they thought. Judas now exits the scene after being told to leave by Christ. This is where we pick up in uh, John 13, verse 31. When he had gone out, that is, Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and and glorify him at once. Judas is told to leave and steps out into the night. In the upper room, the son of darkness has been cast out, and those that remain are sons of light. I think it is important to note that Christ commands Judas to move forward with his betrayal. It is about this action that Jesus says, "Now is the Son of Man glorified and God glorified in him. According to FF. F. Bruce, the very action of Christ sending Judas shows his submission to the fathers to the Father's will of him going to the cross. Leon Morris says that he that is Christ using the past tense and the verb glorified, um, which means that he sees the cross as so certain that he can speak of it as over. You may recall that Christ had used a similar phrase earlier. Uh, Looking back in John 12, uh, verses 23 and 24, Christ says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The hour spoken of in this passage appears to be officially set into play the moment Judas exits the scene. Judas goes, and glory comes, but there is still a great amount of suffering ahead. At this point, most of us would be asking the disciples for prayer and comfort. Yet the true shepherd, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and it as it says in John thirteen one, Christ's suffering is directly ahead of him, and he turns to comfort the disciples in the very hour that they should have been comforting him. See how Christ addresses the disciples in the beginning of verse thirty three. He tenderly calls them little children. This phrase pronounced technion appears a few times in the gospel. Strons uses the words infants or darlings to describe this word. In both Matthew 11.25 and Luke 10.21, Christ thanks the Father during his prayer for having hidden understanding from the wise and given it to little children. neon also appears in Matthew 19.14 where Christ rebukes the disciples when they tried to prevent little children from coming to him. Looking outside the Gospels, this phrase shows up eight other times in the New Testament. One of these is in Galatians. It might surprise you to know that the remaining seven uses, uses of this phrase appear in John's letters. Uh, each time he uses it, it is, um, it is an endearing term for true believers, or children of God, whom he has fathered in the faith. John must have been greatly comforted and impacted by this phrase for the rest of his life. Though I cannot say for certain that Christ never looked at his disciples and addressed them directly as technion. From what we have listed in the gospel accounts, it was the only time Christ does this. Uh, Continuing on, looking at verse 33, little children yet a little while i am with you you will seek me and just as i said to the jews so now i say to you where i am going you cannot come as mentioned here christ told the religious leaders back in john 7:34 and 8:21 that they would seek after him but would not find him because they would not be able to go where he was going the first time the pharisees the, the first time the Pharisees question among themselves if this means he will go out into the Gentile world While Christ mentions this the sec- when, when Christ mentions this the second time, the Pharisees stumble a bit closer when they say, "Will he kill himself?" Yes, he was going to die, however, it would not be by suicide, but by murder. Hearing Christ mention this statement again must have brought these two ideas to the disciples' minds. They had already followed Christ into Gentile areas, so that may not have seemed logical. Could he really mean that he was going to die? Continuing on in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. But by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for for one another. Up to this point, there has been no question whose disciples the disciples were. They had been following Christ, but in the absence of Christ, they would need a distinguishing trait that would identify whose disciples they were. Christ also knew that the that the disciples would need to learn to lean on each other for comfort in his absence. There is also a key theme hidden here. Christ says, A new commandment I give you. There was already a commandment from Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. This command is different. Don't love like you love yourself, but love as I have loved you. Our love is imperfect, proud, and selfish. Christ's love is perfect, demonstrates the greatest humility and is unselfish. I also think that Christ is indicating indicating by a new commandment that he was also the giver of the old. Here Peter interrupts Christ and takes him back to his comment before the new commandment. Simon Peter said to him, "'Lord, where are you going?' Jesus answered him, "'Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards.'" You can almost hear Peter saying, Wait, where are you going? Christ repeats what he had just said. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter's boldness is stifled by Christ's comment, but still allows Peter to know that he will one day follow Christ where he is going. Christ continues on with the words of comfort, but does not leave Peter's question of where are you going unanswered. Beginning into chapter 4, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Christ tells the disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them in his Father's house. He tells them of many rooms and that he will return to take them to himself. These are words of a groom speaking to his bride. In those days when a man was betrothed, he would build onto his father's house and make a place um, for his his wife to be. Christ kind of primes the discussion at this point um, for a question when he says, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas goes for the question. Thomas said to him, looking at verse 5, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thomas speaks up and asks the question, How can we know the way? I find Thomas's question interesting, considering that Christ is speaking of going to the grave. And the only other quote we have from Thomas leading up to this point in the Gospel of John is, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Christ's response is, I am the way. Looking at the marriage analogy further, the bride was usually led by the groom to the father's house. Just knowing where the father's house does not mean you can get knowing where the father's house is does not mean that you can um, get in. The groom is the way in, and in this instance, the way to the house and the way um, into the house are through Christ. Christ says that he is the only way. Many today will try to claim that there are multiple paths to get into heaven. Back in John 10:1, Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you." he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Peter would later say, while standing before the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 4, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And this man referring to the um, the man that Peter had healed. Uh, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Before the early Christians were called Christians, I think it is important to note that they were called those of the way This is seen repeatedly throughout the book of Acts. Evidently, they were very open about proclaiming that Jesus is the way. The most important thing to know from this entire passage is without knowing and believing this truth, there is no eternal life. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. What an encouragement this must have been to the disciples to know that Christ was the way. They had not wandered For three years for nothing, following just anyone. They had been with the only one who could give them eternal life. Looking back at the text, you see that Christ continues to answer Peter's question, and that he is not only going to the Father's house, but he is also going to the Father. Christ then tells them that if they had seen him, they have seen the Father also. Philip, being a gifted liaison and man of connections, as is seen in multiple circumstances throughout Christ's ministry, asked to be introduced to the Father. Looking at verse 8, Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.' Jesus said to him, "'Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip?' Philip had been with Christ from day two of his ministry." He was the fourth disciple, and in the gospel of John, the first that Christ had commanded to follow him. Let's think for a moment about the things that Philip had witnessed, that, that, he, uh, that had shown Christ's deity. Looking at John's gospel in the very first chapter, Christ had shown his omniscience. When he told Nathaniel, he knew he was under the fig tree before Philip found him. In chapter 2, Philip had seen Christ demonstrate his creative power as he turned water to wine. He had seen Christ heal the official's son over a great distance in John 4, showing that his power was omnipresent. In chapter 5, Christ had shown Philip his ability ability to heal the lame. In John 6, Philip had seen Christ multiply bread and fish in the wilderness, just like God had provided manna and quail for the Israelites during their wilderness wanderings. Continuing on in the same chapter, Philip had seen Christ show his power over nature as he walked on water. In chapter 8, Philip had witnessed something no one had ever seen of or had never heard of or seen when Christ gave sight to the blind. In chapter 11, Christ again showed his omniscience as he told the disciples of Lazarus' death before they had even started to Bethany. Christ showed his power over death and his authority to call one back from the grave as he raised Lazarus. With all these accounts and many others that are unlisted, it is no wonder that Christ asked Philip, and you still do not know me, Philip? Christ continues on by saying, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can, you sh- how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? This is not the first time that Christ has mentioned the idea. Back in John eight nineteen, Christ says to the Pharisees, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. He had also directly claimed to be God during his discussion with the Pharisees. On Abraham. He said in chapter 8, verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He did it more directly in John 10:30, as he said, I and the Father are one. Recall the context there. Christ was talking about no one being able to snatch his own from his hand. To know Christ is to know the Father. Though Christ is leaving them, the comfort is that they are not leaving his hand. There is another thing to note here about the Trinity. While Christ has the same nature as the Father, he is a different person. In, in, in the rest of the verses, um, looking at 10 and 11, Christ reminds them under whose authority he speaks and gently pleads with the disciples to believe him. Or at least believe based on the miracles that they have seen him do, if they cannot believe him directly. He said, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. At this point, Christ begins to segue into what life will be like After Christ leaves, those who believe will also do his work, and even greater works. These verses have been the topic of much debate. What are these works that will be done? There are two barriers that we can immediately put on the works and prayer requests based on the context. First, the works and requests must be done within the Father's authority. And second, they must be done for the Father's glory. With those barriers in place, there are two prying questions here from this passage. What does Christ mean when he says, greater works? And what did he mean when he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it? So what are these great works? To understand this, we need to know the reason that John says he came. There is a phrase or word in Greek that is used 31 times in the book of John. While it can be used in different ways, John uses it at the greatest frequency out of all the New Testament books. It is the phrase, bear witness. From Strand's martyrio, Martir- it means to bear witness, uh, to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something, or that he knows it because taught by divine revelation or inspiration. It is from this word that we get the word martyr. For time's sake, I will not have you turn to each passage, but I do want you to hear a few of the instances where it is used in the book of John. So John 1.7, um, speaking of John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John 1.34, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God, John 5, 31 and 32. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. John five thirty six, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John 10:25. Jesus answered them, "I told you, and you do not believe, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me." John 15:26, "But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me." John 15:27, "And you also will bear witness." He's speaking to the disciples in this context. Uh, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. John eighteen thirty seven. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Christ came to bear witness of the truth. And he did it so we might have life. John 10.10 10 says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Guess what book in the New Testament continues to use the word um most often? And that is the book of Acts. It is used 11 times there. And thinking about the book of Acts, whose acts are they? Some of your Bibles may reference it as the continued acts of Christ as they were carried out by his disciples, as they bore witness of Christ's death and resurrection throughout the world. These are the greater works. Carson, Bruce, and Morris all agree that the greater works are those involving the spread of the gospel and salvation of millions across the nations. While I would like to Um, continue going on that topic, Uh, we need to move on and continue on in the text. We also need to answer the question, um, what does it mean to ask something in in Christ's name? Uh, There are many today who would try to claim that you can ask for anything in Christ's name, and it will be given. But this claim ignores the limitations we mentioned from the text, and it misses the point of what Christ is getting at The ones making the claims that you can ask for literally anything are generally focused on earthly things and their own glory. Christ is talking about heavenly things and the Father's glory. The book of James touches on this person's attitude. And um, you can turn with me there if you'd like to real briefly. um, Look at James chapter 4 and then in, in verse 1. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Some scholars have referred to James as the first commentary on the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. There are many parallels It is during that sermon that we find the model prayer. The people in James' day had evidently already been introduced to the name it and claim it concept because they were already praying for worldly things that they were coveting and even worshiping. What is one of the first parts of the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is this not in line with what the passage is saying? Thus, we can say, we pray in Christ's name that his work of salvation continues, that the Father's will be done in our lives and in the lives of those we are trying to reach with the gospel, and that the Father be glorified as more enter the kingdom and praise his name. Now think for a moment what will be different for the disciples. For the last three years, they have been able to come to Christ directly with their problems and questions. The difference now is that they must go back to praying to God and to a God that they cannot see. Though Christ is not there in person, he assures them that they can still talk with him in prayer. There's one caveat with doing these works. They cannot be done without help. While Christ's fleshly body is in, in its manhood was confined to one place, the Holy Spirit could be with them all throughout the ends of the earth. Now, looking at the helper that the Father sends. Before promising to send the Holy Spirit, he says one more thing that will definitely take the Holy Spirit's help. Verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is again a difference here in, the, in what distinguishes a disciple of Christ from the disciples of the Pharisees. The current Jews followed God's commandments because they had to. They did it begrudgingly and even competed to show their misery and their piety. My thought there was kind of a a fasting Pharisee with a grimace face. They almost compete over that. Christ's disciples, on the other hand, would learn to obey Christ's commandments because they love him. And you can thank uh, Leon Morris for that insight on verse 15. Uh, We will conclude with two of Christ's encouraging promises. He promises to send another helper and that he will not leave his little children slash darlings as orphans, but will, in fact, return for them. In verse 16, it says, "...and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever." Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. As Christ continues to tell of his death, what an encouragement it must have been to know that he would return, and that as in his absence they would not be alone. As we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, the disciples' current expectations were not met. Christ would not be setting up a physical kingdom now, but he would later. They could, however, be part of the current spiritual kingdom. Though they would deny and abandon Christ, he promised them that they would soon be performing his works and doing far greater things than they ever imagined while he went to prepare a grander place for them in the Father's house. And to close it out with some applications. uh, There are many that that could be drawn here, but there's there's a few I want to focus on. Uh, The most important point that I want all to remember from this passage is that Christ is the only way to the Father. If there are any here who do not know Christ personally, you must know that there is no other name by which you can be saved. Many religions will claim to know the way and will provide lists and lists of do's and don'ts whereby they, can, they claim you may earn your salvation through merit in some way. But this is exactly the method the religious leaders of Christ day were trying themselves Trying to earn merit before God will leave you cold, miserable, and all alone in eternity because you will never reach perfection on your own. There is but one who can make you whole. I urge you, if you have not done so, to turn to Christ, repent of your sins, and trust him alone for salvation. For those of you who are saved, you can find comfort in knowing that there is one simple way to Christ. Or one simple way um, to, to heaven. Uh, you don't have to work to earn favor before God. You do not have to be a great biblical scholar to understand he is the way. You can follow him, know him, love him, and love the brethren, because one, he has atoned for you, two, his commandments are not burden, burdensome, and three, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. And with that, I also want to present a challenge. As mentioned earlier, the early Christians were referred to as those who were of the way. Does your life show that you are of the way? The way was all that the early Christians could talk about. If you are not excited to talk about the way, why not? It is about this thing that Christ encourages the disciples to pray. If you ask prayer for boldness... Proclaim the gospel, know he will provide it. If you have given up hope, praying for a dear friend or family member to respond to the gospel, take courage and continue, for it is the Father's will to continue to make his name great throughout the nations. The disciples were going to have many discouraging days ahead. We will too. However, just as Christ promised, the disciples. That they could pray to the Father in His name, so can you. Just as He promised the disciples that they would have a helper, so also the Holy Spirit is there to help you. Finally, just as He promised He would return for His disciples, He too, so too will He return for you. You are not an orphan, but a child of the returning King. Let's close. In Father, thank you for sending your Son to show us the way. I pray that all who are here would know that the way would know the way and the abundant life that you give. Lord, help us not to be discouraged when we see the world falling apart around us. But may we be encouraged that the more this world passes away, the closer we will be to be with you in the Father's house. Until then, make us faithful to continue on in the works that you've commanded us to do, namely to proclaim him who is the way, the truth, and the life. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.